Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we are joined by a guest to talk about a very iconic scene. Um, we are joined by Blake Collier. Blake, uh, Blake Dick Little Collier. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> about time. About time. <laughs> I've spent my whole life waiting for someone to actually use my full name. <laughs> yes, that's right. Wait, what's up, man? Doing good. How about y'all? Good, good. Pretty uh, good, pretty good. Before we get into the scene proper, we always have to ask the Jaws question. But I have a follow-up question that I will ask oh, after okay. you answer the Jaws question. Um, so what is your personal history with the film Jaws that led you to a minute-by-minute breakdown podcast? So it, it's weird because I actually don't have super strong memories of this film when I was a kid. Um, I know I watched it. I, my parents, uh, my dad was especially a fan of it. So I know I watched it. I just don't have any strong feelings about it um, as far as uh, that time period. Really, the first like monumental moment for me um, was actually about five, six years ago when I got to see it in the theaters for the first time. Um, they had, you know, one of those, uh, you know, IMAX, uh, where they brought an old movie back to the, to the cinema. Yeah. So I saw it on that screen and, and I was just wowed by it. Like, I, I was just like, this is everything about this works so well and everything about this shouldn't work as well as it does <laughs> because there's so much going on. Like he's having to juggle so many elements, uh, and the fact that he pulled it off is, is just astounding. So, um, yeah, that's <laughs> sorry to sorry to waste everyone's time, but that's that's really my story. It's uh, it's kind of rough and and kind of stupid to be honest. <laughs> well, no, I think you know, um, uh, I don't think this is out yet, but we were just uh, guests on the movie Robcast, and we talked about a film that I don't like, which is It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, no no spoilers uh, necessarily, although a little bit spoilers, but one of them brought up uh, to see it on a big screen if possible. And Mm -hmm. uh, I am absolutely going to try to do that. I feel like there is a theater here who's going to be showing it around Christmas time. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try to make it to that because I have never seen it on the big screen. And I feel like sometimes with these sort of perennial classic films, that's the way to see them. So like Mm -hmm. I saw, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre on the big screen. They did, it was very similar to what you said about Jaws where, uh, they just kind of brought it back for a one night fathom event deal yeah and it was one of those movies that i'd always heard like oh it's you know one of the all-time greats it's on the we we're clowning on them off mic the one of the afi institute 100 greatest films of all time or whatever 
And I'd never seen it, and I watched it, and I was like, holy crap, this movie's incredible. And it became, like, one of my, I think it's in my top ten favorite movies of all time, and I've only seen it the one time still. But it just, like, it worked so well on that big screen even now. That mm. And this was, like, two, three years ago that this happened. Um, and so I think there is something to be said for seeing, like, these these movies, especially if you can get a little, like okay, they're classics, but I don't know if, you know, I have no strong feelings either way or whatever. Um, seeing them on a big screen can really help uh, kind of bring out the magic of those things. And, like, I don't necessarily want to open the can of worms debate of, like, the theatrical experience versus at home or whatever. <laughs> um, because, like, obviously some of this stuff, like, James Gunn, when he was talking about... Uh, the Suicide Squad, and obviously that film is not on the same caliber of the stuff we're talking about, but, um, you know, because it was one of those films that got released on HBO Max simultaneously mm. with theaters, and way more people watched it on HBO Max than saw it in theaters, and uh, they were asking him about it, and he was like, I don't really care, like, it's, and especially because, like, Denis Wave was big proponent of not doing that, mm-hmm. um, and... Uh, he was like, yeah, I don't really care either way. He was like, a, a good movie is going to play on TV whether or not it's seen big or not. And he was like, Jaws is one of my favorite films and I've never seen it big and it still works for me. And yeah. my thought was like, I agree. You should probably see Jaws on the big screen, James Gunn. <laughs> like, this is a real good, real good time at the movies. Also, I mean, this is, this is the blockbuster film. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. it has to, it almost has to be seen on the big screen for it to get it, you know, to get the full effect of it. Yeah, I agree. So that actually leads into my follow-up question because I know uh, you've mentioned it before, uh, but you're not a Spielberg fan necessarily. No, no. Actually, uh, (laughs) surprise, surprise, (laughs) I kind of despise him. (laughs) Oh. And and I I know I've heard you talk about this before. Um, Largely at at the core, I I actually... I will enjoy some of his films for what they are. Right. They they never end up becoming anywhere close to like a list of favorites. Like, except for this movie, uh, and maybe Catch Me If You Can. Mm. Those are about the only two that that really like climb beyond like <laughs> the typical like. Yeah, it was okay, but and and I know that you've griped about this before, MJ. But uh, these. Whereas I am okay with uh, some directors using sentimental uh, mm-hmm. elements, his almost feels counter to what I feel like he's going for in his films. Mm. Um, and so that's what bothers me most of the time. Um, it feels like it kind of just, it doesn't fit. As like, everything about Jaws fits. Um, mm. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a just a subjective, um, general meh about Spielberg. Um, to the point that, like, I, when it, you know, the idea of a new, uh, new movie by him, it's not going to make me jump to the theaters just because of Spielberg, so. Right, and I know a lot of people feel that way about his 21st century output in -hmm. general. Like, I feel like a lot of Spielberg fans feel that way, just, uh, even if they've loved, like, everything he's ever done up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. From, I guess you could say, like, war horse on everyone's been like kind of checked out on on his stuff and i feel like he's definitely had more misses than hits in that output but i feel like i've still liked uh, a good deal of what he's put out uh do you 
how do you feel about Duel? Uh, I actually I I enjoy that movie. Um, mm. It's it's very TV movie ish, sure. uh, but I mean that's I mean that's what it is. So, but for what it is, I I I will always enjoy movies about highways. Um, mm. Anything that takes place on a highway. One of my favorite horror films is The Hitcher, the okay. original one, not the remake. <laughs> um, yeah, and because it's just I something about the open road and the horribleness that can happen on the open road is terrifying to me. So, um, yeah, Duel fits that. So does, uh, you know, what's the one? Joyride. Oh, yeah. You know, all those movies that have to do with, like, crazy truckers or yeah, you know, anything like that. I am I am in the seat the first night. <laughs> Got it. Uh, big Breakdown fan? Yes, actually. It's a I good movie. It's a really it, it really movie. is. <laughs> Is that the yeah. Russell one? Yeah. Yep. That's I the last that time I remember seeing. Like, I'm sure she's done stuff since then, but that's the last movie I remember being aware of Kathleen Quinlan. Hmm. Um, because she kind of fell off the radar after that, or at least she did for me. Yeah, so, she. And she uh... was really good in that. Yeah, because she was in she was in a lot of those like nineties mm-hmm. movies. Because she's in uh, what is it? Uh, the Tom Hanks one. Paul I Paul Thirteen. She's in Paul yeah. Thirteen. Yeah, mm. that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she didn't really do. She's in Event Horizon, the same year as Breakdown. And oh, I forgot she was in Event Horizon. That's hilarious. Wow. After yeah. that, not much. She's in the Hills Have Eyes remake. Yeah, I forgot about that, too. <laughs> and I like that remake. <laughs> I've heard it's good. I haven't seen it. Um, yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, well, we, we're we glad you like Jaws enough to come on this show. Oh, um, for sure. <laughs> and this scene is a banger. Um, so the timestamp is 133.10 through 134.45. It is a minute and 35 seconds of uh i think pure cinematic bliss like especially (laughs) on the end of of what just happened so the scene this is the this it's the show me the way to go home scene guys Mm -hmm. like do i need to describe it um if you if if you've never seen it uh welcome once again hypothetical person who is watching this movie one minute at a time for the first time but uh this is it's the end of the Indianapolis speech and everyone's just kind of dead silent <laughs> and <laughs> there's a whale singing in the background or mm. Dory from Finding Nemo. We don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, Brody asks, what, what, what's that? So Quint says it's a, it's a whale. Um, and he starts to sing farewell and adieu, which is his go-to, uh, sea shanty Mm -hmm. and then he finishes singing and hooper starts singing show me the way to go home and he might as well have put on don't stop believing given how (laughs) how emphatic these three white men react (laughs) to hooper doing this so brody comes and joins the table and they start singing the song um and then we cut to outside the boat and we see a barrel cutting through the water, headed straight uh, 
making a beeline or I guess a shark line to the to the the orca and it slams into the side of the boat um a couple times and Quint catches on immediately and then Hooper and Brody are still uh in the throes of of uh show me the way to go home and they finally catch on and Quint asks them Quint asks Hooper to start the engines and that's the end of the scene so uh Blake what did you notice in the scene did you notice anything like that really stood out to you Oh yeah, so I <clears throat> I'm one of those people that likes to take um, references that are made in movies and like go down rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to look up the origins of both songs, of course, uh, just to see you know what's going on there. I had heard uh, "Show Me a Way" to, or "Show Me the Way Way to Go Home" before, but it, you know I didn't know who had originally done it and all that stuff. So I went down some rabbit holes there, but I think the thing that when I watched this minute, and, and just to give context, I haven't watched this movie in probably a year or so, uh, and I watched just this minute. <laughs> just awesome. Just for the sake of it. So, because I wanted to narrow in on this one, I didn't want to be taken by uh, the surrounding stuff. So, the first thing I noticed in this minute is the way that uh, Hooper is looking at Quint. Like, when I freeze frame on 3310, hmm. He has just finished the speech, mm-hmm. and this—the look on Hooper's face is like this. It's it's amazement, sadness, and like awe, <laughs> like just total awe at what what just happened. Uh, this man who is, you know, gruff and all this stuff, uh, opening up like that, and he's just he doesn't know what to do with it, and so the look on his face is just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they got that. I don't know how Richard Drive has pulled that off, but um, that's just class acting right there is yeah. to be able to like, <sighs> like part of me wonders if, if something in their off screen relationship enabled that to, to take place because I don't think I'm, I'm not sure that can actually be manufactured. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I enjoyed that, but I also enjoyed the fact that you, Whenever he's being, uh, singing farewell on a do, uh, he grabs food on his plate and he plays with it. <laughs> it's just this weird little thing. Like, I'd never noticed it before. Uh, but he's he grabs a piece of it and he just kind of, like, rubs it in his fingers and, like, mm-hmm. like, throws it back on his plate. Um, it's those small elements that I think what are what make this movie so wonderful. And clearly, uh, as you are, you know hundred some odd episodes uh into this this uh project like you know you've gone into the details of what goes into this movie and so that's the stuff that whenever you really hone in on it it's really amazing um and you know you can give some of the credit to spielberg but i think you have to give a lot of credit to sean uh, schneider and scheider sorry not schneider um and then uh and Dreyfus, so yeah, those are the first things I noticed. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really small details that I like in this scene, and mm-hmm. you just picked up on one of them there with him sort of playing with the the food on his plate. And I can't take credit for this because it was Katie, I think, who uh, previous guest, and then mentioned it on Twitter about that you see the the three plates. Um, in front of them and 
uh, Quint and Hooper's, or what we'd assume would be their plates because they're sort of positioned in front of them, have mostly been finished. And then the plate, which you can deduce is is Brody's one, um, is basically full still. It looks like it hasn't been touched. Uh, and it's just a really, <laughs> I guess, yeah. subtle way of, of suggesting that you know Brody has maybe got like a bit of a a bit of a dicky tummy still is perhaps feeling a bit seasick or a bit unwell and therefore like can't eat eat his dinner or just can't stomach it really after after what they've been through and I just think that's such a it's such a simple thing but it's such a a nice touch I think and yeah like I said I I I can't take the credit for spotting that because I didn't notice it until Katie mentioned it and then I was like oh yeah that's a that's a that's a real good point um, and well okay but didn't hooper switch positions on the table yes <laughs> <laughs> but i and think it that... all comes from the <laughs> down they... yeah i always took it as like because where they end up where the three when brody mm-hmm. then goes to sit down like they are sat quint hooper brody yeah and the plates that are in front of them then look i don't know i'm not about to get into plate watch we've just had tooth watches (laughs) (laughs) i know we're i know we're looking for the small details here no i I actually i think it's i think it's more continuity error on uh if you could even call it that i don't think it's i don't think anyone is really thinking that hard about it um on the on the productions part rather than no i think you're right that that is intended to be brody's plate that's full of food that's I mean, yeah. whatever that slop is that they're eating as well as well. Yeah, like, brown are soup. y'all are y'all telling me that that Spielberg doesn't have the OCDness of Fincher? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like Spielberg and Scorsese would just get in a fist fight with Fincher over something like yeah. that easily. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just both of them screaming. Oh, who cares? <laughs> And Finch would be like, I care. Yeah, I cares. It's me. I cares. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding. Well, and it's it, you, you almost have to look, like in this scene specifically, you've just had that really massively powerful speech. Mm-hmm. And then you have largely a minute filled with song. Um and so you almost have to, because it's so big and boisterous and whatnot, you almost have to look for the details. So, like, I watched it the first couple of times just to reacquaint myself with it, and I enjoyed the... Reacquaint yourself with it, you mean? Yes. Reacquaint. <laughs> Sorry. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Little Dick did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry, Dick Little. Dick Little, yeah. <laughs> little Dick. <laughs> That's his rap name. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, so you're like, you're, you're, I was wrapped up in the joyousness of the moment, like them singing and, and just letting go for a moment. Um, but then, like, probably the fourth, fifth, sixth time I've watched it, I was noticing, like, their, their mannerisms, like, mm. how are they holding themselves and things like that. And the, the thing, I and I want to see y'all's take on it, because this may just be my reading of it, but whenever he starts singing Farewell farewell and Adieu, um, he gets through the first little snippet there, and the whale, you know, you have the whale and whatnot, and then you have uh, Hooper start a new song. And there's this movement that Quint does where it's almost like he's zipping up his mouth and throwing away the key. And... I almost take that as 
even in that moment of uh, after vulnerability uh, between men, Hooper is still playing a power play because he's changing the song. Like he he he, he <laughs> notates that Quinn is singing the same song that he used whenever uh, he was putting the shark cage in the boat. Mm-hmm. And he intentionally changes the song in order to uh, playfully, I think, uh, basically toss it back at Quint and say, yeah, well, I can do it too, bud. <laughs> what do y'all think about that? Um, I think I agree, but it, I feel like I feel like Hooper is still maybe <clears throat> somewhat in the power play zone. It's he's got it's little column A, little column B is how I feel mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, and then Quint, because Quint doesn't do that to Hooper, he does that to Brody, and I yeah. feel like he's just kind of telling Brody like, "Hey, let him have this one." <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, like I think that's what that gesture means. I've never noticed that it was the throwing away the key thing until you mentioned it right now. I was well, like, I mean, when because when I was watching it for for this episode, mm-hmm. I was like, what a weird little thing he does with his mouth there. But I didn't pick. I was th- thinking about that, like him touching his mouth, that I didn't pick up on him throwing away the key. But that's absolutely yeah. what he's doing. Mm-hmm. When it's 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 done drunkenly, which mm. knowing Robert Shaw, he probably was actually drunk. <laughs> so. Um, and so it, it, it doesn't quite have the, uh, the clarity uh, uh, that you would normally do that action with. But, but it feel, like I, I watched it a few times and I was like, that's got to be what he's doing. Like, I don't know what else he could, like, that could be taken as. So. <clears throat> mm, yeah, I, I don't know if I, if I sort of, I've never sort of considered it as being like a power play thing from Hooper before. But that's interesting, I think, to think about it in in that way like the way i've always seen it is like what do you even say after someone has just told that story Mm -hmm. like yeah i am an in real life very awkward person so i was like if someone told me that story (laughs) uh, me being me i would probably crack like a really dumb joke because i i that's kind of my go-to i think sometimes just for like uh when a situation is is quite tense it can be a sort of you know break the break that tension a little bit or someone has to say something and i mean glad the whale is there to speak first i mm-hmm. i don't speak whale like dory and finding nemo but it's quite yeah. a it's a very melancholy <laughs> it's a very melancholic sound and it's quite ominous so that is you know the the first person if you will to speak is is the whale and that sort of like moves the conversation on really but quint then singing farewell and adieu which is significant because all the other times he sings it is usually when something <laughs> bad is about to happen and mm-hmm. it's quite um it's used in different ways and, and i can get onto that later but it's it's often quite foreboding and maybe a little bit sinister sometimes and i think that Hooper the the play from Hooper really is like kind of what I would do in this situation yeah. I think which is like we got to do something to diffuse the the tension in here because where can this go from here really it's like I mean in a film now perhaps these three guys would would sit around and talk about their feelings for a bit uh, for a bit longer but the way that you know this this film looks at how 
the the characters are, are addressing trauma and that's something we spoke a, a lot about last week so i won't go into that again but it's it gives it gives the Indianapolis speech enough space, but then something has to happen in order to kind of mm. move things along a little bit. So yeah, I, I've always seen it as as Hooper sort of like taking the the reins away from from Quint, not necessarily to one up him, but to be like, okay, look, one of us has got to try and mm. break this tension here, and and it might as well be me. So I've always liked that move yeah. from from yeah. Hooper, and it really does change the mood because all of them then you know have this really great moment of of camaraderie between them where they're all singing together um and i think that that needed to happen it's sort of like you know uh take away the sad <laughs> the sad foreboding yeah. song from quint because they've all been through some some stuff on this day and they know things are probably about to get worse before they get better so they they just need that sort of moment of of brevity before they get back to dealing with the shark. But yeah, it's, no, it's interesting I de- I to definitely, think about. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, and and part of me like when I and I want to spe- like clarify, I, I don't see it as a power play in a like negative sense. I see yeah. it as a, sure. a game game noticing game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> like I think I, I think uh, Quint notices that and appreciates it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's why he has that smile on his face as he's mm. zipping his mouth and throwing away the key. Like I think he reckon, like I think that's a bonding moment for the two of them. Like I think that's the moment where, for me, they they're starting to see eye to eye. Like they're they're starting to see that no, like they're good people. Like <laughs> you know, that's yeah. You're a good guy. You're a good guy. Like mm. I think we can finally like put away all the the bs basically so yeah yeah, i really i like that but but i i agree completely with your reading too i think both are are are, i don't think they're mutually exclusive so yeah i think um i think that that this scene is is it's so many things all at the same time um and i think this is actually a really good a really good scene to illustrate what you were talking about about how so much of this movie shouldn't work but it all works so well um because like if you you know on paper and then they sing sea shanties after uh (laughs) this traumatic story i feel like you'd be like huh what like okay (laughs) Um, but it's so within the the realm of the characters. Um, and I love, I love starting this bit off. I've always loved this part. Starting this bit off with the whale song. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's three songs going on in this scene, right? Um, and it, it really illustrates like the, sorry, like you said, it sounds very melancholy. And that's just kind of how a lot of whale songs sound. Um, but it, there's also like a majesty and a beauty in it. And like... Mm-hmm. It, you guys know the song Hospital Beds by Cold War Kids? Yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pre-chorus of that song is, so the song's written about someone dying in the hospital. Um, but uh, in the pre-chorus, uh, he says, I got one friend laying across from me. I did not choose him. He did not choose me. We've got no chance of recovery, sharing hospital joy and misery. Because, like, babies are born in hospitals, but also, like, a lot of people die in hospitals. Like, hospitals are a place of healing, but they're also a place of, like, death. And, mm-hmm. like, I kind of feel like that's how Quint feels about the sea, right? Like, he's he's so bound to the ocean, right, because of this trauma. 
but there is joy to be had on the water as well, which is demonstrated in the whale song of like, hey, it's not all just sharks trying to eat you 24-7. Like there's like majesty and beauty and like a lot to love about being out on the ocean as well. Um, And I think it's also important for Brody that this is when he really comes into the scene, you know, and is a very active participant in it because Brody has not felt that way about the water at all <laughs> over, yeah, exactly. over the course of the film. So he's able to see, you know, the, the, the joy and misery of the sea is on display in, in this scene. Well, I don't know if y'all know, but this, uh, the, the whale song and Quint's song, I uh, have a massive tie to a little book that, that I'm not sure if y'all have ever heard of. Uh, it's called Moby Dick. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Moby Dick um, Little. Yeah, Moby Dick Little. Way. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, chapter 40, uh, Farewell and Adieu, is sung by the mates on uh, Ahab's ship. And it leads into this long scene of the sailors uh, drinking and dancing on the boat. And there is one of the, the sailors who's looking for his tambourine so he can you know, create the, the beat and whatnot for the dancing. And so there's this uh, old, old mate in that chapter who looks at all these sailors dancing and drinking and saying, like, I wonder if they know that, like, they're dancing on the graves of, like, sailors. But then he's like, meh, let them have it. <laughs> and so like the the fact that that's the scene in which that song shows up in that in that massive tome of a novel Mm -hmm. and then seeing what happens in jaws like i can't help but think that there's got to be a connection there because it almost feels too yeah too paralleled (laughs) to not be uh tied to it somehow like spielberg either had read the novel or or something but all I know is that whenever I went back to that chapter in, in Moby Dick, I was like, because I had looked up on Wiki uh, the, where the song had been shown in other, you know, mm-hmm. movies, TV shows, all that stuff, books. Uh, and I noticed it was in Moby Dick. And so I went back to that chapter and I was like, oh, crap. Wow, this this is strangely apropos. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's a, there's a there's a definite tie. This whole the and and. You know, you can almost say that Jaws is another search for the big whale. Oh yeah, story. for sure. So mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 its own Moby Dick, little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so I I feel like we should camp out on each song kind of individually. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll talk about Spanish Ladies first because it's the first one. Uh, Sarah, you said that you had a bunch of research that you did. Uh, yes this week so i don't i don't want to stomp on your research uh but i might and i apologize for that but did you guys see the thing when looking it up because i assume we all went to wikipedia for this song um that this is not the first time robert shaw sang farewell yeah no he said yeah 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 i saw that yeah i tried so hard to find a video of that (laughs) Um, that was really the the biggest thing that I I caught in my research. So Sarah, if yeah. you have anything else, uh... yeah. My so mine was, <laughs> I I went to I did the same thing. I went to the to the the wiki page, and I've got some absolutely insane stuff about Show Me the Way to Go Home. So I cannot wait to get uh, to get to that one a bit later. Awesome. But um, when looking at Farewell and Adieu, actually, I I was 
looking at the instances that we hear it in the film and was like, what can I read into this? Uh, <laughs> because that is what we do on this podcast is reading too much into everything. <laughs> um, and it's heard three times. Uh, we spoke last week about the significance of, of three and what that can mean. Uh, in in jaws and in the bible just to continue our uh insane thread that we have been weaving through these last (laughs) few weeks it feels um but more than that we have spoken about particularly during the indianapolis speech uh things like little things that quint does that sort of indicates his uh his past the fact that he was was in in the military or in the navy um, like taking his cap off before he starts uh, giving the speech as a sort of sign of respect and uh, knowledge about like the squares formation that he mentions and, and a bunch of other things as well. And actually, I think someone on Twitter mentioned about uh, how Quint views authority, like he generally always calls Brody chief. Um, and in the town meeting scene, when he leaves, he says, uh, Mr. Mayor, chief, ladies and gentlemen. So he sort of recognizes the authority in the room even if he doesn't necessarily respect them um so this got me thinking about the the times that we hear quint sing farewell and adieu and what this could mean and this is what i've come up with (laughs) so the first time he sings it is when he's talking to to hooper about hooper going in the shark cage um and the tone of his singing that time around is quite sort of like smug and arrogant like this silly city boy is gonna go into this shark cage is is kind of the vibe i get from him then post indianapolis the bit that we're talking about now it's very foreboding and and solemn and melancholic is the sort of the tone of of the the singing this time around and then the next time we get it is when he is like maniacally driving the the or steering the orca when it's you know they're, they're supposed to be heading back to shore to sort of drive the shark in that way um and it's a, a very wild and, and crazed uh quint that we see so bear with me i'm making my point i promise um <laughs> the way i kind of saw it is is and i've taken this from every war film i think i've ever seen is those sort of different stages perhaps that a soldier goes through in in battle or at least how it is portrayed in films anyway, is that you're sort of going off to off to war and that's that's Quint talking to Hooper as they're loading up the orca. You're going off to war and you're feeling quite confident or perhaps even like a little bit smug and a little bit arrogant of like, I am going off to do my duty and we are going to win because, that you know, if you think about the other option, you probably wouldn't, you know, even get to where you need to get to. Then inevitably and as we see in in many war films and pretty much every war film there is inevitable loss or sadness or melancholy and that's obviously what we get post indianapolis and then the kind of going into battle which is what we see quint doing the next time he sings the song um he's sort of got this uh like red filter over his eyes almost where where all he can see is the the final goal and and taking down the shark um perhaps as you may be in battle when you're sort of going into that, you know, final confrontation with the enemy or whatever it is. So that may be a bit of a stretch and I appreciate that's a lot (laughs) of information. Um, But that was something that I, I was just trying to piece together what it could mean, the sort of different times that we've, we've heard this song and how that perhaps reflects Quint's 
character and what we know about his his past i don't think that's a the stre- a stretch at all i think <clears throat> i would almost say that that almost has to be baked into it just from yeah. the, the progression of the narrative itself mm-hmm. um i think that's spot on yeah i mean hard agree right like this is it's his go-to it's his it's his elizabeth town um yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it's like a rallying cry right like it's his his mm-hmm. his um no, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you, and I'm sure you made this point while I was not paying attention, but if you look at the nature of war, like battle songs are a thing, for sure. Um, like, it it always it doesn't make me laugh necessarily, but whenever I see, especially like an old timey war movie, and they've got like a drummer and a, a flute player uh, coming into the battlefield, like right on the front lines, and it's like. Hey, those guys' hands are busy. Um, <laughs> do they know? <laughs> because I'm not sure if I was a musician, if I could concentrate on anything besides that, if I had to play the drums going into battle. To be like, well, hey, everyone else has a gun. <laughs> well, clearly you're not a true musician because true musicians only pay attention to the music. Sure, they're only in it for the art, man. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is the truest form of an exposure gig, but... Boy. <laughs> to the death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. Um, so before we move on to Show Me the Way to Go Home... Uh, th- Shout out to Joe Alves, or Joe Alves, uh, the production designer, mm-hmm. for slamming that first aid kit right above them, because <laughs> healing. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all I got. That's hilarious. Uh, they just got, like, it's just, it's it, also it says family on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that, yeah. Yep. So, oh, no, oh. Yeah, it's his family. I wasn't sure if it said family or firmly. And I was like, um, this is about to destroy my point. <laughs> well, I mean, firmly, you could go in a different direction there. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it says family on it, which, um, you know, thus makes Jaws Fast and Furious canon. Um... <laughs> but no, uh, this you is. You just like... made my day, MJ. <laughs> the best franchise ever. And the you best. Just brought Jaws into. <laughs> Yeah. The second best franchise ever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it says family on there. And obviously, Fast and Furious jokes aside, this is sort of them becoming the, the family that they need to be to accomplish the task at hand. We've talked a lot about the uh, the um, group dynamic stuff. Um, this is certainly certainly norming to a T, right? Like, they're, they're finally finding their common ground. Um <laughs> So yeah, it's a first aid kit that says family, and like this is obviously a time of them healing because we've talked about it before. Quinn's probably never said this to almost anyone else. Like it's probably a single digit amount of people. Um, so, uh, you know, he's healing through that, and then finding this common ground with them. Like they're accepting him as he is. Like Blake, you mentioned that that look on Dreyfus's face. I think there's also part of it is just like absolutely stunned at the power with which Shaw, like uh, some of it yeah. feels like Dreyfus himself being yeah. just like, Oh, you're 
really fucking good at what you do, <laughs> like as <laughs> as a colleague. You're um, a real actor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so that's that's part of the the reaction i see on there in addition to everything you said like it's it is a great great look from him but it's also how like healing begins like healing you know begins i think and we talk about it uh i think it's it's in in a lot of the recovery language as well but um like addiction recovery stuff but it's i feel like it's true of any trauma like admittance is the first step to recovery from anything right so Mm -hmm. the fact that he can like say this out loud is huge in itself. Like that's his first step towards recovery. And obviously, you know, one, there's only like half an hour left of the movie. And two, it's not a movie about his entire life. So he's going to go on an expedited version of that healing journey that ultimately ends in his death. Um, and also maybe doesn't end up in the most healthy way, uh, given the, the, the aggression with which he approaches the shark in the, in the back half. Um, but it's a start. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't even get to that part. Um, it's what we it's what we in the business call a breakthrough yeah there you go (laughs) it's a breakthrough it's yeah it's not a full healing journey but it is a breakthrough and he's allowed to have that which even that alone is enough of a catharsis you you feel like for the character um to where you know when he does spoilers die uh it doesn't feel like uh i mean it's sad but it doesn't feel like anything from him is unresolved either mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think actually that explains i mean we'll we'll have to save some of this for when we get to quince death scene but it's it's when brody and hooper talk about it or there's like a very brief exchange between them but it's not you know there's not wailing and gnashing of teeth from either of them it's that sort of like solemn acceptance that that quint has gone and almost expecting it i think um when after the shark has has been blown up and and hooper then surfaces they sort of have like a little moment where i think hooper just says quint and brody just shakes his head and says no it's you can sort of see i mean we've spoken about this the the foreshadowing there's a lot of it there's some of it that we've just heard in quint's indianapolis speech and the more i think about it the more i think it's just clear pretty much from the moment we meet quint with that shark drawing next to him with the man in the in the jaws of the shark that what this man's fate is is going to be um it's it's hard to sort of uh exactly say that's the case because obviously i've seen this film so many times that i pick up on the foreshadowing things so for a first time watcher i wonder how obvious it would be that 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 is what happens to quint but i feel like the clues are are there throughout really like what what happens to him and the i think mentioned this in that right at the start of indianapolis month um but a great bit of foreshadowing that we sort of see uh happen at the end of this scene so uh, quint starts off the indianapolis speech by saying that the japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side uh, and i mentioned in that episode that the the shark post indianapolis and po- post show me the way to go home sing along the shark sort of attacks the boat like from the side or it seems like the side anyway um and it is therefore i think significant that quint is the first person to to notice that he sort of has that mm. look on his face of like history repeating itself sort of thing well, and you could then... almost say he was re-traumatized right like, yeah like yeah, right yeah. after a breakthrough he's re-traumatized because it's happening again he's like mm-hmm. oh shit mm-hmm. so... and the others are, are sort of oblivious 
to it and i've always seen it previously of like quint is just more more attuned to these things and it's his boat so he's just more aware but yeah it's the noise of the shark seems pretty loud and it's loud in the mix as well even sort of over the the sound of the others still sort of raucously singing in the background mm-hmm. but quint noticing it i think is it's not a it's not an accident <laughs> like he is he's yeah very the meme that mj just put in our discord with the is it grand theft auto yeah, yeah. Oh, here we go again <laughs> very that yeah well it's a, it's it, it's i mean quint is is like so many people i've known in my life mm-hmm. uh that even stuff that would make us like lose our crap and like like that moment he's just so calm like mm-hmm. calm and resolved he sees it he knows what's happening and he's like okay shit's going down mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well i feel like you know like you said it, it's it's almost it, he gets re-traumatized for sure but it almost represents this way for him to kind of change the narrative a little mm-hmm. bit where he's like oh okay i've i've been through this before i'm like it's going to go mm-hmm. differently this time. Yeah. And it sort of does, but it sort of doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it definitely feels like a way for him to be like, ah, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to handle this, you know, differently. We're, we're prepared now for this, uh, you know, the, to handle this the, if, if it ever happens again. And it just so happens to be happening again because the shark yeah. hates singing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very, it's very much i just want one of them to be thinking that like oh wow the shark does not like karaoke so so steve martin thing. from the jerk is in is yeah, in exactly. my version of jaws he hates these cans <laughs> it was funny whenever you you told me what what scene i was going to be i was going to be talking about on here uh i was like of course he would pick the music one oh I yeah love musicals Love yeah, them. yeah. Kidding. I hate them. Well, you like <laughs> you love music though. You had a music podcast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I love music, and 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 I I adore the scene. Uh, but I just found it humorous that that of course there's no dialogue outside of that's a whale. <laughs> yeah, what's that? That's a whale. Um, those are the only two spoken lines of dialogue in this in this scene. Well, originally you wanted to come on and talk about Gansett, but we had already had someone yeah. for that scene. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was I was gonna go. I was gonna do a deep dive into the history of Narragansett beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gansett, if you're listening, still waiting. Uh, still exactly. waiting. <laughs> I'm gonna tweet them again. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. No, don't give up. <laughs> audio audio manager Mike, uh, cut this part from the <laughs> podcast. Anyway, uh, yeah, you wanted to talk about Gansett, and so this was like the next open guest availability that I was like, yeah, that's awesome. it was, and it definitely was like, I want Blake to come on for something like not, not that any of them were worse than the other ones, but it was like, I want him to be on for something like important. Um, and so, <laughs> well, uh, thank you for thinking I'm important. Yeah. And so, well, then I saw this and I was like, how in the hell do we not have a guest for this already? Cause it was pretty late when we added you to the roster. Um, yeah. and I was just like, did, did everyone just assume that there was already a guest for that? And just no one said, no one asked for it because they were like, ah, you probably got one. So, so whenever I, when y'all so first started the podcast and y'all were doing like calls out for, for guests, if anyone was interested, I just assumed the Indianapolis 
ones that already been filled. Because, mm. I mean, you go into a Jaws podcast, what's the thing you want to talk about? I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> let's it's, be honest. Yeah, the, the two <laughs> things people want are anything with the Indianapolis and you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I, so whenever I found out that this was part of the uh, Indianapolis scene, I was like, oh, wow, man, I feel like big guns over here. <laughs> I think, yeah. Big this... little with big guns. <laughs> I think that this was, um, yeah, a lot of people, you're right, MJ, a lot of people just assumed it had already gone, so just didn't ask, but was surprised by some of the scenes that people, like, really, really wanted. A lot of people mm-hmm. super keen for Quint's death scene. Oh, that um, makes sense. Alec, anything uh, uh, leading up to or about Alex Kintner, that was popular as well. Also makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, most people have just been like, "Put me on for anything." I don't care because the whole film is amazing, and I'm like, sure. "I like yeah, that. Yeah. That makes my life easier." I'm, yeah. scheduling. <laughs> I'm, I'm ultimately in that camp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just, you just put me on somewhere. Do you, okay, <laughs> this is a fun thought experiment, Sarah. If you weren't doing the the minute by minute breakdown, which episode would you want to do? Oh my goodness! Hmm, <laughs> that's really put me on the spot. I have my answer if you want me to go first. Yeah, go first whilst I think about it. I would absolutely want to be <laughs> in the 24 hours is like three weeks scene. Of course. <laughs> that's that's my number one. Like if, if I was guesting on the show instead of running it and I found out that this show existed, I would be like, put me on for 24 hours is like three weeks. I love that lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm tempted to, I mean, Tiger Shark jumped out to me, but I think yeah. that... I would want something that I could get my teeth stuck into a bit more. And I I really like the the dinner scene when Mm. it's Mm -hmm. Ellen, Hooper and Brady. I think there's so much interesting stuff in that scene. And another one I really like as well is the the, uh, Charlie and Den Herder out on the the pier with the holiday roast. I think that's such a, a great underrated scene of of tension mm-hmm. um i mean we're in the very fortunate position that we've got to talk about you know the head the tail the whole damn thing so hey yeah. i'm glad that, i'm glad that we didn't have to pick one moment because i mean i, I, failed. I, I mean, my answer <laughs> to that question would be this scene uh because as i was watching i was like i had a stupid smirk on my face the whole time i was like mm. man i forgot how good this scene was. it's so this good exactly the scene i would want to do <laughs> Yeah. It's so good. So yeah, when we were we were recording this pretty early uh, in the morning for me. Um, so we started at 7 a.m. and my time. And I, I mean, I literally rolled out of bed and climbed into my computer chair. Like, uh, <laughs> like forgot to feed the cats until the cats aggressively reminded me that I, they needed to be fed. Um, and I watched the scene and I was like, it immediately woke me up. Like I was just like, oh, man, what a what a scene. This is this is maybe my favorite scene in the film. Um and it it is the scene that I remember when I watching that 2012 Blu-ray release and like falling in love with the film. This was the scene that I remember really sticking with me and like humming the song for weeks and and mm-hmm. things like that where it was just like, "Oh, that is really good filmmaking. It's really good 
uh, acting. It's really good writing, even though they didn't write like most most of the the words they didn't write themselves. Um, yeah. But it just it's so perfectly placed within the structure of the film, of the scene, of everything. It's uh, and so really, good. do you want to hear anyone else sing that song? I mean, it's like it's like Johnny Cash taking Nine Inch Nails. Like mm. even Trent Reznor was like, "Yeah, that's a better version than mine." Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, like you know, it's they they make it their own, and and I don't really see a world in which there's a version that's that's better. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. The association that this has with Jaws now, like when I was doing some of my research, I just put in "Show Me the Way to Go Home," and like I think the first thing that comes up is. A video and like the brackets is like brackets jaws the song. jaws song <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that same video yeah. yeah I saw that too um so yeah Sarah I take 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 the lead on this I guess uh you have some insane info to share about this song <laughs> yeah so I've got the the sensible stuff first and then I read too far down the Wikipedia page <laughs> place that i'm very glad i got to but i was it the spot with pokemon uh i got even i got further down so i don't know if you guys saw this on there as well but the the sort of the the headline on wikipedia i guess is that this uh show me the way to go home is a a popular song written in 1925 um it's english and uh said to have been written on a train journey by the the songwriters uh, they were tired and they'd had some alcoholic drinks uh, during the journey. So that was what inspired them to to write the song. I have a, a slight, well, I have two personal anecdotes about this song. But the first one is one from my childhood, which I think is really funny. Is that at my uh, grandparents' house, they had this like wind up toy type of thing. And it played this tune. Um... I can't even remember like what the toy was. It was sort of one of these like really old fashioned, like it might have even been my mum's when she was younger, but we would play with it when we were younger. It was and a shark. I just rem- <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I don't think it was. I'm gonna like raid my granddad's house at some point to see if he still has it. But um I just my my grandma didn't like the toy because she was quite a, a devout Christian, so the fact that this children's toy sang a song about like basically getting wasted she really didn't like it at all and we like obviously we were kids we didn't know but i just remember being told that story and just thinking that was really really funny um that that she would have that that reaction to it i don't know if she ever saw jaws or not but um yeah uh the the rabbit hole that i ended up down did you know that there is a a band who have based their entire existence around Jaws, who did a cover of this this song. No, um, what's their email? They have to come on. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> they're called Squalus, S-Q-A-L-U-S, already a reference from Jaws. Um, they are an avant, avant-garde sludge metal oh, band. I'm there, I'm there. From Pacifica, <laughs> California, <laughs> formed in 2015. Um, they have two Jaws-themed albums. Uh, I listened to some tracks. Uh, tracks including City Hands, The Orca, <laughs> He Ate the Light, Swim Charlie Swim, and a cover of Show Me the Way to Go Home. So, you're welcome. I <laughs> wow. I discovered this right before the episode. I sent MJ a quick DM and was like, 
the rabbit hole I have just ended up down <laughs> and it was the, the squalus rabbit hole that I ended up down but um uh, yeah I guess I guess I, I guess I know I'm gonna be playing for uh, my wife on the way to church this morning <laughs> It's really, it is quite heavy as well, and I'm not against heavy it's, stuff. It's a it's, lot. It's, uh... <laughs> Listen to you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's really a lot. I I think there's a song called The Indianapolis as well, and I, I listened mm-hmm. to a bit of that, and I was just, because I was like, what if this is just a song version of Quint's Indianapolis speech? And I couldn't hear the lyrics to confirm or deny that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's that level of heavy. Um, wow. But I think... If they are still going, <laughs> we need to try and get them on. It doesn't even matter if they're still going or not. No, yeah, I gotta, yeah. How do I find that? <laughs> I'm on their band camp right now. Uh, Squalist.bandcamp.com. Cut this part. Uh, no, I'm going to promote them for free. I don't give a crap. This is awesome. <laughs> this is dope. They have a song called He Ate the Light. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Swim Charlie Swim as well. That's Swim Charlie name. Swim is real good. <laughs> it's a real yeah. good name. City Hands. Um, Eating Machine in the Pond is good. Yeah, Fourth of July is another one, I think. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> considering I discovered them about an hour ago. I'm now very familiar with their entire discography. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you had a lot you had a little squalus about an hour ago. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> hey. What a stupid joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, um, you're welcome, I guess, everyone who is now furiously Googling this. But hey, do you know what? If they suddenly get like a load of plays through their band camp or Spotify or something, <laughs> I would love that. I would love them just be like, what the? <laughs> you can buy their first record on vinyl. Oh, I'm going to be buying their whole discography. <laughs> I don't even care if I like it or not. <laughs> yeah, I just want yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an acquired an acquired taste. Oh, it's uh, sold out. Dang it. Oh, their second one their second one is is uh available though on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's available on vinyl, they must still be going. Yeah. They have a song called Lobstrosities on their second <laughs> Lobstrosities. <laughs> the second one seems like it might break from the jaws theme because yeah. they have a song they have a song called violent climax on there which um don't remember that line from jaws no <laughs> but it is a violent climax it is a, it is a violent climax <laughs> yeah. it's maybe it's talking about the the shark the shark being blown up as the yeah as the mm. uh, titular violent climax but i can see that got it oh this is a it's a it's a it's it's two bands on one album so it's three oh, songs okay. It's four, four songs by Squalus and three songs by a band called Shadowlim. I don't know if there's any crossover in members or what. Mm. But yeah. Shadowlim has the song called Lobstrosities. I'm uh, only interested in Squalus. Yeah, yeah, get those people out of here. So I also learned recently, this is uh, semi-related. There's a, there's a doom metal band here called Triton. And uh, they just sing songs about like old underwater gods, basically. Um, nice. Love <laughs> Yeah, I saw them sound checking one night, and they were pretty good. And uh, I was talking to the guy at the venue, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I play uh, I play D and D with the uh, the lead singer and um, 
for his spells and incantations and stuff. He just reads his own lyrics. And I was like, this is so funny. <laughs> this... <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yep. So that is Squalus and Triton need to go on tour is uh, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Would watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the only there. thing I found about this that I thought was interesting is that apparently... The song, the song's obviously been referenced in like so many things, but it's referenced in an English dub of an episode of Pokemon, and that made me laugh for some reason. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, my wife has never seen Jaws. Oh, um, and she, she doesn't really like um, most horror films mm. uh, in general. Which marrying me is well, yeah. How's that? Was an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but she's she's one of those people that like. TV and, and movies just aren't a thing for her. Yeah. Um, and so she she is uh, all about people and uh, social work and all sorts of stuff like that. So um, there's a world in which I show her Jaws because I think it's one that she would appreciate. Uh, and it's not like gory or like gory in the sense of like some of the horror that's out there. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but last night when I was playing this this minute over and over again, I mean, I had it like where she could hear it and she was working on a paper she was like what are you doing because <laughs> she kept hearing the same song over and over again and now so ever since then i've just been singing the song uh show me the way to go, mm-hmm. go home the yeah. whole time and so yeah it's mm. beautiful it's a it's a real earworm like it's very yeah. easy to get stuck in your head i think that all the lyrics they sing are all the lyrics of the song as well and i think that it's it's one of those ones that is sort of drunken sing-along shanty type songs where it's you get like quicker and quicker as you as you Mm -hmm. sing it again and again Mm -hmm. um which you sort of get in in this but i i really like the way the the song builds uh in the way it's performed in jaws with it, it just starting with with hooper um and then quint joining in but i really love the moment Brody joins in and I love Mm -hmm. how into it he is and he's been hanging back in this scene pretty much from from the start of it we talked about him being in the shadows and that's reflected in in the lighting and in what he's wearing as well he's sort of wearing this like black uh roll neck jumper um but when he finally sort of inserts himself into the the scene and joins in the singing he is so into it I love that he does the little like the, the little like bonbons in the background is great yeah he's banging the table he's really really enjoying himself and i just think it's such a great moment uh in the film was sort of really seeing the the unity between the three and i, I noticed that first aid kit with family in the background as well and cue all the fast and furious memes but yeah the, you, <laughs> for, for just a brief brief moment you get that sense of them being at least for now <laughs> like a family um mm-hmm. in this in this moment of of unity together and it's just it's a great moment it's funny it's perfectly timed as well in in terms of like how much of a pause and silence there is after the the heaviness of indianapolis um it's not too long either they sort of don't you know carry it on forever and ever because i feel like they could have done as well given implied how much they've had to drink and how much robert shaw actually had to drink um i feel like this could have been a sing-along that lasted many hours (laughs) yeah easily 
Mm-hmm. He got drunker and drunker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the 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 glassy eyed Robert Shaw is absolutely back for this part. Oh, he's wasted in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that shirt has gotten like more and more unbuttoned as it's yeah. gone along. Like I don't remember it being that unbuttoned in Indianapolis. Like <laughs> it's really it's really quite something. He's very very much inebriated in this scene. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he was like, he read that part of the script and he's like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do the damn thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hold my whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, give it back. <laughs> yeah. I need that. <laughs> now, before he gives it away, it's, it, it's emptied. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Hold my empty whiskey bottle and replace it with a full one, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I have a, a fun claim to fame uh with this song and that i have in some roundabout way sung it with richard dreyfus um okay and (laughs) so i think i've mentioned previously that i went to this event in london where he sort of was was on stage and speaking about about his life and a lot about jaws and other films that he'd been in as well um and it finished with a a rousing sing-along of uh show me the way to go home which was one of my best memories <laughs> just just ever to mm. be honest it was really really fun everyone was super into it like doing Brody's parts like banging their seats as well <laughs> like they bang on the table so yeah without the <laughs> the context of the type of event I was at I like to be like yeah I've sung this song with uh Richard Dreyfus. there's my claim yeah. of fame <laughs> that's terrible also I love that he leans into that where he's like well I know what you guys want to do <laughs> you know yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> No one's going to say anything, but we're all thinking this. So I'm yeah. just going to clear the air here uh, and we'll we'll do it together. But I also feel like there, there's, and feel free to correct me if, if I'm wrong, because uh, all I know about this sort of culture is from television and films. But drinking songs aren't really a thing here. Like, yeah, the, I've never seen it happen in a bar ever, despite what Top Gun would have you. Believe. I think the closest we get is Sweet Caroline. Yes, that's the closest we get. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah. Sweet Caroline. That's Caroline's more of a movie. "Get Out My Bar" song. Yeah, and that's usually <laughs> yeah, that's usually the the last song of the night. But you know, it there are there's a lot of evidence that that happens kind of a lot in your neck of the woods, Sarah. Um, so so. <laughs> uh you know this this feels very like european to me like especially like uk drinking song type stuff so like i've never gotten drunk with buddies and then just started singing songs just not not a thing that happens um so does it happen as often as television and films would like us to believe yeah, it's kind of blowing my my uh, mind a little bit that you don't have the we like to drink with song. Um, I don't know if I'm now about to sing it on. on uh, well, I don't know it. So. Or if I can just explain it. But it's like, this is very much a thing I remember from my drinking days, which was a long time ago now. But you'd, <laughs> you'd be in like a pub or something with like a group of friends. And if you had like a full drink as well, someone would be like, we like to drink with Sarah because Sarah is our mate. And when we drink with Sarah, she drinks it down in eight, seven, six, and like oh, no. count down. And you would have to down your drink in that time. Um, yeah, that's... That's my kind of game. <laughs> oh, 
So, oh, no. so you've tried to bring the you've tried to bring the wahey to uh, across the pond. Um, limited success on that. So it's a very now, limited success. I'm now entrusting both of you uh, to bring this song, this British tradition, if you will, uh, to uh, to to America. Uh, I believe uh, next you. time. Next time I'm in in a, a bar or pub, I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I cannot wait yeah. for evidence. I'll, just, I'll, I'll try and to like kill someone. Like, <laughs> I really enjoy the Urban Dictionary definition of this as a classic British chant. <laughs> yep. Well, but if you if, if you just drink you know Bud Light or something like that, it'll take a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like so so make sure it's not like you know ten ABV. Like yeah, like that would kill them. <laughs> I mean, I'm not stupid. Come on, MJ, give me a little bit of credit. Sure. Uh, <laughs> oh, also, there is uh, the 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 UKness of this song also goes with um, apparently there's like football slash soccer, however you want to mm-hmm. call it, chants that go along with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So there is. saw that for is it Wimbledon? Hmm. And Liverpool. That looks yeah. Like. I yeah, I found that out on the on the Wikipedia page where there's like almost like a call and answer type of thing where like one has it as their their song that they sing in support of the team and then like a rival team has this thing of like yeah, we're gonna show you the way to go home because we're better than you sort of thing. Yeah. Oh nice. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, my favorite part I, is it just says they're t- the lyrics to the Liverpool one says they're tired and they want to go to bed, and then in parentheses it says for a wank. Yes, <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh really hard. <laughs> just like they had to put that little footnote in there. <laughs> they like, oh, it's <laughs> that's probably one of the cleaner um, football chants as well, to be honest, or soccer chants. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little surprised that we haven't brought up uh, the modern day classic of Piranha 3D, where Richard Dreyfus reprises mm-hmm. his. Uh, that was next his, on my list. I haven't of... seen the film, yeah. but I, yeah, I, I, learned, I learned about that. It's not good. It's, yeah, it, it's fine. It's it's fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have to see at least that section now. Um, yeah. Well, it's pretty easy. It's right at the beginning. So. Oh, okay. That's good. It's, uh... Is that... Go ahead. It's on our list for possibly oh, okay. something that we may possibly do in the future. Okay, I uh, will hold <laughs> on. Nice. Is that where all the pictures of him as like modern day Hooper come from? Is that movie, or did he do oh, it in a commercial too? I think it's from that. I it's mean, been a long time since I saw that film, but okay. I mean, hashtag capitalism. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As long as he's getting paid in full. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bono has sung the song before. Uh, As his devil character. Yep. Yep. Which I find interesting. Yeah, I don't really know why. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, I don't either. I'm not sure what what he's aiming for on that one. Yep. On the Zoo TV tour. Is that the one? Mm-hmm. Is that That's not the one that rattle and hum is based on right that's the no that's the rattle no. and hum tour right mm-hmm. yeah okay <laughs> yeah the zoo the zoo tour is the 
right after they did, or right after they released Zootopia or Zootopia. Zeropa, Zeropa, Zeropa. Yeah, yeah. Which is meh. <laughs> yeah, that tour is really famous. Though. Isn't there a concert film of that tour though? Uh, I would be surprised if there wasn't. Yeah, so. that was like a huge tour for them. Oh, it was yeah, massive. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Geez, the only Louise. song from the album I remember is the one that had Johnny Cash on it, "The Wonder." Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one I remember from it. <laughs> Good lord, the uh, the Wikipedia page for the Zoo TV tour is insanely long. Wow. This is one of the longest Wikipedia pages I've ever seen for anything. <laughs> uh, thanks, Show Me the Way to Go Home for that. Okay. Just, yeah. If, nope, that's the ice cream bunny. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I need no context ice cream bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Why was... <laughs> said that like that's a normal thing for me to have done <laughs> the ice cream bunny <laughs> oh shoot guys that's just the ice cream bunny don't mind him <laughs> oh, oh man the funniest thing about that is that at, at least sarah has the context for that <laughs> um Oh my gosh! Uh, I like like absolute absurdity, so I'm I'm down. I don't even need context. Holy shit! Oh man, that really I was surprised. Ice cream bunny is the worst ice cream bunny. Uh, Man, now I know how. Now I know how Rob felt the other night when he was leaving the podcast, and I unleashed that on him as he was going to see Ghostbusters Afterlife. Whoa. It's like goodbye. Enjoy this in your nightmares. Yep. He was like, "Hey guys, I gotta pop off," and I was like, "Well, then here's this." And he was like, "Cool, thanks." Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's oh, that's not even on the episode. So people who, th- oh my yeah, goodness, that wasn't even recorded. That wasn't e- like that. The the Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny was not recorded part of our appearance on the the movie robcast so uh audio producer mike can you uh, please cut that part? <laughs> yeah that's not even like a teaser for our appearance on the the movie robcast it just is no. something we talked about afterwards oh my gosh uh, uh, i like how i'm i'm not the host of the show and yet i'm the one acting like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm directing the audio <laughs> production <laughs> yeah <laughs> Man, uh, so d- besides wanting to talk about the ice cream bunny forever, do you guys have anything about the scene <laughs> that you wanted to cover? Anything else? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm pretty much out. So, mm. yeah i I think we'll probably get into this more in in next week's scene, but just the really matter of fact way that it ends with uh, Quint being mm-hmm. like. <laughs> start the engines uh and then yeah the I, I my pause of it was like as hooper is like vaulting over the table so that was a really oh, mm-hmm. it was a really dynamic pause <laughs> and martin was like no i want to watch the rest of it and it was like well i mean <laughs> you can <laughs> yeah but I, I gotta go <laughs> um 
Um, Literally, no one is stopping you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be gone for a couple hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I think I think we've covered everything about this scene and, uh, and much, much more. <laughs> yeah, uh, cool. Well, Blake, thank you for making the time and uh, coming on, man. Yeah, man, I, I'm so happy to be on the show. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful show, and uh, I appreciate both of y'all. Yeah, thanks. We appreciate uh, the appreciation. Um, <laughs> do you, uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, currently, uh, not really. Eventually, uh, sometime mid next year, we'll uh, get so gross, such point, much blank back up, which is our podcast. Joe George and I. Uh, try to contextualize and celebrate the greatest film ever made, Gross Point Blank, from 1997. And uh, we do a weekly uh, subject matter. So, like, one week we do music. Next week we do movies. Like, we do the whole filmographies of all the people involved mm. in the making of Gross Point Blank. Um, we do the minute by minute. And then we do what we call potpourri, which is basically interviews uh, with people who worked on the film or... Uh, we've gotten to this, we've done this thing where we do a, uh, roll the die and we have a list of topics that we came up with and we have to talk about it, uh, impromptu. And then somehow by the end of the 25 minutes, we have to, uh, tie it back into gross point blank. So stupid stuff like wow. that. <laughs> so, that so, is yeah, ambitious. It is. It's, it, it's wild. It's a, it's a crazy idea. And, uh, and it's going to take years to finish if we do finish. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So is, is Cusack the, uh, the white whale of, of that? Oh yeah. He's, yeah. He, he's the white whale. Um, I mean, we, or I guess we great white buffalo on... is what I should say for John Cusack, right? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, before we went on hiatus, our last episode was a uh, interview with the, the twin girls who played baby Robbie and the prom or the high school reunion scene where, uh, Martin Blank is looking at the, at the baby and uh, finds a new respect for life in that moment. And so I literally did an interview with the twins, even though they were eight months old when they filmed that movie, <laughs> and remember nothing of it. Uh, so that's a fun interview. Uh, I thought it was a nice note to, to end on <laughs> for now. Great. And you can find that show anywhere podcasts are yep, podcasted. Yeah, anywhere podcasts are found. It's, yep. it's so gross, such point, much blank. Cool. Um, with the, with the ease on the gross and point, just saying. So you know. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, Sarah. Um, I don't think I have anything that I haven't already plugged. Uh, we we were both on a podcast which we sort of mentioned on this, um, but not out yet. So when it is, we will we will let people know. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, nothing nothing else from me. I don't think. Uh, okay. Um. <clears throat> Real Perspective, for me, R-E-E-L Perspective, uh, episode on Tick, Tick, Boom might be out by the time you hear this. I don't know. It's Thanksgiving week this week for uh, us in the States, so I'm going to be busy cooking a lot. So we'll <laughs> yep. see if I have time to get a podcast in there. Um, if not, Dune is the most recent episode that you can hear, um, which uh, if you want to hear three people who really didn't like Dune talk about Dune... You should listen oh, to that. Oh, man. I'm right there. It's a <laughs> bad movie. Um, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, sweet. I'm, I'm, I'm not committal on it. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. None of, us, none of us liked it really kind of at all, <laughs> which oh, nice. we, seem okay. to, we seem to be in the minority. But 
Uh, oh yeah, no, you you definitely are, and and so am I. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So you can check that out once again wherever wherever you can find so gross point much point so bla- what is it? So gross, such point, much point. Such it's point. like the Doge. Meme. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> wherever you can find that, wherever you can find this, you can find Real Perspectives. Still working on getting the logo updated on Apple. Um, so if you see a different show title and a different uh, graphic, if you see Real Perspective attached to a different graphic, that's why. We're Imagine know. that Apple being the, the delay. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's updated literally on every other platform except Apple. Exactly. Yeah. So dumb. Um, yeah, so you can find that uh, there. Uh, I don't think anything else. Um, no, you will not hear that by the time. I haven't even recorded that by the time. So uh, another guest spot on another podcast. Um, I can't plug our socials without the script because I'm a professional. Uh, okay, there, there they are. <laughs> Um, if you want to get in contact with the show, you can contact us at Jaws for a Minute on Twitter. Um, our DMs are open, so slide in if you want. Um, email if you don't have Twitter uh, or you don't like using Twitter or whatever. You can email us at JawsForAMinute at gmail.com. We appreciate any and all feedback, and uh, thank you for listening. Um, if you want to interact with us personally, I am at MJSmith891 on twitter uh sarah is at sarah buttery that's s-a-r-a-h-b-u-d-d-e-r-y oh you can also find us on finstagram that's right at jaws for a minute uh we share clips of the show and and just like jaws related things sarah just put her um jaws rubber duckies on mm-hmm. uh the 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 finstagram page so uh yeah. there is that harley needs your yums uh Harley needs your yums. He is working on that parody song of uh, "Use Somebody" by um, Kings of Leon. Sorry, there's a dog. <laughs> I'm not used to having a dog in my apartment. And <laughs> where was I? Oh, uh, Harley needs your yums. He's doing a parody of "Use Somebody" by Kings of Leon that is about the shark uh, eating somebody called "Eat Somebody," um, and he needs he needs your yums to uh, to fill in the chorus of that song in the background um and you can email that to is it fundamentals pod at gmail it is fundamentals pod at yahoo.com at yahoo.com okay fundamentals pod at yahoo.com so send those in um so he can get that out because i am very anxious to hear it and because it sounds hilarious and uh i can't believe he he did he followed through on it um (laughs) I mean, I can, because he is that type of guy. But also, it's extremely <laughs> funny that he did it. That's awesome. Um, if you would like any merch uh, for the holiday season to either spring on your unsuspecting family members, or if you have a, an LJ fam fan in your life, or if you are one and need something for your wish list, uh, we have merch stores on TeePublic and Redbubble, which you can get to in a link uh, in our link tree on our Twitter bio, which is where you can find almost all this information. Um, if you would like to support the show, uh, it's very much appreciated. Um, that's on our coffee page. It's a $3 minimum donation. And, uh, by doing so, if you are a first time donor, you are entered into a contest that is running in perpetuity when we hit certain, uh, donation goals to give away a piece of merch. So, um, 
yeah, if you, you know, $3 minimum entry to win a poten potentially like $20 piece of merch um, is, is how I see that. So also you will get shouted out on the show if you donate to our coffee page. Um, Wait, did you say shouted out or shouted at? Both. Uh, okay, sweet. Both, yeah. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> If you'd like to support the show, the easiest way to do that is uh, for free and only costs your time. Um, if you could rate and review and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, we very much appreciate it. Um, Apple and Spotify are the two platforms we would like you to do that on the most, but wherever you listen to podcasts, um, please do so. And uh, share the episodes with your friends. Share the episodes if you think of, of people who you uh, think would like the show. Let them know about it. That's, that's how we grow and that's how we... Um, get to keep doing what we do and what we love doing for you guys. So um, we very much appreciate it. Speaking of our merch, our merch has two amazing logos on it uh, that you can choose from. Uh, and they were both done by Alex, who is at Hex Ghosts on Twitter. You can go check out his other uh, design work. And then our theme song was written and performed by uh, Kristen Falls. And you can find her at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram and uh, buy this full-length song in uh, her... Twitter bio or in her Instagram bio and our Twitter bio as well as a, uh, a link to that. So yeah, I think that's it. And we're getting Blake out of here just under the wire. Uh, yes. right, right. Six minutes Dick before his heart. Uh, <laughs> Dick little approves. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Until next time it is jaws o'clock somewhere.